If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 738. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. You already heard about that. Purchase one or 20 or more of my classes there. Right now, you get a discount if it's November 2022. Use the coupon code BLACKFRIDAY2022 and get 30% off every class at McClanahan Academy. This deal expires at the end of the month. So you're getting this. There's about two weeks left in the month, but you should go out and pick those up while you can. Don't wait to the last minute. Get those great deals at McClanahan Academy. If you like the podcast, as I said, you're going to love the classes at McClanahan Academy. All right. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Going to anchor.fm, subscribing there. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. Or if you're watching on YouTube, click on the little heart under the video, the super thanks button that does help keep the show free of charge. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff, make great Christmas gifts. You can buy my books at amazon.com, also make great Christmas gifts. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Let people know you love it. Give it a comment on YouTube. Watch the videos all the way through. All those things help bump the algorithm and send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right. This is a listener-generated episode. Somebody sent this to me on Twitter asking for my opinion on it, and so I'm going to give it to you. Now, let me preface this by saying this. I've already done essentially this topic several different ways before, but it's always good to go out and criticize Alan Gelzo. He deserves it all the time. But here's the thing. I'm going to talk about the Gettysburg Address today and Abraham Lincoln. And look, Lincoln is used now as the bellwether. He is the guy that everyone goes to if you're on the left and the right to defend your positions. If Lincoln, what would Lincoln have done, right? I mean, we've gotten to the point in American history and American government when we have the sign, what would Lincoln do, right? WWLD. And if that's the case then we know that we're going to be looking at war, destruction, uh, autocracy, authoritarianism, tyranny, shredding the Constitution, but not according to Alan Gelzo and the neoconservatives and the Straussians, you see, because Lincoln does nothing wrong. Now, I've covered Lincoln before on a video I did for the Abbeville Institute on the Gettysburg Address, and I'm going to talk about that today again, but if you want my my uh, very short and brief remarks on the Gettysburg Address. Go on out there and look for that. Just look for Gettysburg Address Abbeville Institute on YouTube and you'll pull it up. It's a, you know about six minutes on the Gettysburg Address. I've also got a class, an entire class at McClanahan Academy on the Declaration of Independence. And I talk about the Gettysburg Address there. I talk about Lincoln in an entire class at McClanahan Academy, reading Abraham Lincoln, and I go over the Gettysburg Address there. So I've done this in a variety of places. 
And I really think you should purchase those classes. Again, 30% off Black Friday 2022. You'll never get a better deal than that at this point. right? 30% off is great. Uh, so I talk about those things there. But I'll, look, somebody wanted me to comment on this. This is in the Wall Street Journal. Gelzo is considered to be uh, one of the leading conservative intellectuals. He just wrote a little book on Robert E. Lee. Uh, he's been all over the place criticizing the Confederacy. And if you want the northern version of what happened in 1861 to 65, it doesn't matter if you're a leftist or a rightist, you can go to Alan Gelzo because he would side with Eric Foner on it. I mean, this is the problem with the Straussians. There is no delineation, there's no clear difference between the Straussians on the war and Eric Foner on the war. They would fundamentally agree on what the war was about to them, race and slavery. They would fundamentally agree that Lincoln is the greatest thing since sliced bread, that Lincoln is the reason that we have this glorious America today. And when you get that kind of consensus on this issue, what are you left with? Because both would then agree that there is an indivisible nation, that federalism doesn't really exist, that whatever Lincoln said about democracy and government is, I mean, look, it's scripture. This is, this is the truth. These people firmly believe it. And Gelzo is the worst of the worst when it comes to the Lincoln mythmakers. He's the worst of the worst. Gelzo fundamentally believes in America that did not exist in 1861. It was only created by Lincoln after the war. This is where I talked about the Noah Feldman book a few weeks back. This is where Eric Foner has come in and said we have a, an unfinished revolution. And I'm going to talk about you know, some of the things that happened with this again on this podcast, one of the a very stupid article that somebody else sent me. But Gelzo is a real problem in American history, or at least historical scholarship, because he subscribes to the Lincoln myth. And it is the most difficult thing to get through to conservatives. If what you fundamentally believe is in federalism, if what you fundamentally believe is that the states have the ability to do X, Y, and Z, then you cannot be a Lincolnite. If you believe that America is a real tangible place, like we talked about this dark age patriotism with Lafayette Lee, if that's what you believe, then you can't be a Lincolnite. You can't be an ideologue. And Gelzo is an ideologue. And he places democracy on a pedestal in a way that the founding generation never would have done. In fact, as Gary Wills has pointed out, Lincoln revolutionized the revolution. He made the revolution something it was not. And this is what people talked about in the 1860s. We're seeing a fundamental revolution in the 1860s, but it's not from the South. It's from the North. They were revolutionizing America. They were making America something it had never been before. Now, to Gelzo and the Straussians and the neoconservatives, there's a direct link between Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson, say. This is something that you have to understand. And then the Republican Party started creating that myth in the 1850s. Because what they would do is pull that line from the Declaration, the second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And they would take that and say there's a proposition. There's a proposition nation. We're one people and there's a nation. Proposition that all men are created equal. Well, what does that actually mean? We're going to govern based on that. 
But how do you govern based on that? Well, to them at the time, and I mean, that meant ending slavery to those that firmly subscribe to this. For the immediate, it was getting slavery out of the Western territories, as Gelzo will talk about in this piece at the Wall Street Journal. But for some of the abolitionists, it went further than that. Now, the Straussians run into trouble with this because they'll say, okay, well, this is what it meant, and then it goes no further. But see, it didn't matter. Even the 1850s, people were taking it further than that. In the 1840s, you look at the Seneca Falls Convention, which Joe Biden runs around citing as the as the uh, proposition nation of the Declaration. He actually takes the Declaration of Sentiments and says, this is the Declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. That's, that's straight from the Seneca Falls Convention and the Declaration of Sentiments, which I cover, by the way, in another McClanahan Academy class. So, look, you have to understand these fundamental transformational shifts in America getting away from the founding generation into something else. And if you're going to believe in these things, then you're not a real American conservative. You are a French revolutionary liberal. And that's exactly what Gelzo is. Lincoln's revolution in 1861 to 65 was French revolutionary. You might as well just put on the red cap which is essentially what the left is doing now with their masks. We know that the mask doesn't do anything when they walk around with masks on and all that nonsense. It's like wearing the revolutionary red cap. You're a citizen. You're one of these people. It's a symbol that you believe in all the leftist nonsense. What most people think it means is that you're stupid. But now, um, this is a symbol of your... Uh, your virtue, right? It's your virtue signaling, uh, whether you have your Ukrainian flag or wearing your mask. And we, we can talk about all this stuff. You know, your yard sign, all these things, which mean nothing. And see, this is what Lincoln's rhetoric meant. Now, Gels is going to say, this was not rhetorical. This was not a rhetorical flourish. It was all rhetoric. It was all platitude slogans and hyperbole. It meant nothing. In, fa in fact, Lincoln himself said it meant nothing. The press, which reported on it, said it was a dishwatery utterance. It meant nothing. So let's get into this. this Gelzo's piece. Oh, Gelzo's a great writer, and listening to Gelzo is pleasing. He has a great radio or television voice. He's good at that. He's a good writer. And this is why Gelzo is so troubling. All right. The news of the great battle at Gettysburg came to Abraham Lincoln by fits and starts. When it was finally confirmed on the morning of July 4, 1863, that Robert E. Lee's Confederate Army had been forced to retreat, the tidings couldn't have been more welcome. To a crowd of well-wishers who gathered outside the White House, Lincoln ex exulted that the cohorts of those who opposed the declaration that all men are created equal had at that great battle turned tail and run. Now see, here he is July 4th. The cohorts of those who opposed the declaration that all men are created equal. Did Southerners actually do that? Now, of course, you. what about the cornerstone speech, McClanahan? You got uh, Alexander H. Stevens out there in 1861 saying that the, the Northern government's based, the Southern government's based on this, and the Northern government then would be the opposite. But as I've talked about on this podcast, if you go back and look at actuality, right, not just rhetoric, if you look at what's actually in place, the Northern government was never really dedicated to this idea at all, even in 1861. In Georgia itself, where Stevens debated secession, you had Southerners standing up and saying, look, if we want to protect slavery, we should stay in the Union. If we leave, slavery's doomed because if we lose, it's over. 
essentially. We should stay in the Union. The Union protects slavery. The Union protects these things. Leaving, if we lose, is going to put a nail in the coffin. Now you could say, well, that, there it is. Aha, the war is all about slavery. Well, Southerners were aware of this. They were aware of the major issue. As Southerners said, it's an occasion of the war. Everyone knew it was an important political issue. And it was an important political issue. Why was it an important political issue? Because Northerners somehow were dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal? No. It was a political issue because Lincoln and the Republicans wanted to ensure that they could have their form of political economy and their vision of America dominate. This is what Charles Sumner had said over and over again in the 1850s. He wanted to make America New England. And it wasn't just about social issues. It was about everything. Economics, government, foreign policy. This is what they wanted to do. And Southerners were a thorn, and a, an obstacle, a roadblock to all the things that Northerners wanted. And so you come up with this issue of slavery, as Jefferson Davis points out, in the early 20th, uh, 20, in the early, early uh, 19th century, early 1800s. You come up with the issue of slavery. You know that Western farmers are split on this issue, and then you use it as a wedge. If you can get the West, if you can capture the political West and get them on your side over this issue of slavery extension, not because they uh, were abolitionists, but just because they didn't want the competition or blacks living in those states, then you create an environment where the South is going to be bottled up and the North can win on this issue. It's a political issue. It always had been. It was always about power. So Lincoln here is distorting what actually happened in 1861. And Lincoln was good at that. But this is nothing new. Before months end, plans were developing to create a majestic national cemetery in Gettysburg for the more than 3,300 Union dead, with dedication ceremonies to take place on November 19th. The featured orator would be the August Edward Everett, but for the actual dedication sentences, a few appropriate remarks, as David Wells described them in his invitation letter, the organizers turned to Lincoln. What they expected was probably perfunctory, but Lincoln gave them something far beyond their expectations. Did he really? No, because everyone panned it. In 272 terse and simple words, the president laid out the story of the American Republic in three stages. No, he didn't. It shouldn't be he laid it out. He invented the story of the American quote-unquote republic because we know before this point it was a federal republic. So he invented it. Past four score and seven years ago, present, now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether this nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can endure. Again, he's fabricating what we had. He made it up. We didn't have a nation Four score and seven years ago, we didn't create a nation. We created a federal republic. We had a federal republic of states, a union of states. Jefferson said as much in the Declaration. The most important paragraph in the Declaration, as I go over my class on it, is the last paragraph. Not the first or the second, but the last. And future. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. We hear highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain. I mean, this sounds like Kamala Harris. But anyways. The brevity of Lincoln's remarks also left the Gettysburg Address dark with hidden lights. 
Why the oddly biblical opening? Why the invocation of 1776 and the Declaration of Independence rather than 1787 in the Constitution? Why is that, Yelzo? Why do you think Lincoln would turn back to the Declaration and not to the Constitution? Well, there's a simple answer for that because Lincoln knew virtually everything he had done between 1861 and 1863 was illegal. So why wouldn't you point to the Constitution? Why? Well, because Southerners actually had a stronger constitutional argument. Because those against the war, Northern Democrats, actually had a stronger constitutional argument than Lincoln. Even this was pointed out. It was pointed out by Benjamin Robbins Curtis, one of the two dissenting voices in the Dred Scott decision. Everything Lincoln was doing was unconstitutional. So of course he wouldn't go to the Constitution. Because Lincoln is revolutionizing the revolution. Lincoln is actually making this. He's drawing the two together because he's changing the Constitution, as Noah Feldman illustrates. He knew it. Lincoln knew what he was doing was against the Constitution. If you believe in the Constitution, you cannot believe in Abraham Lincoln. If you're going to run around saying we should adhere to the Constitution, then you can't be a Lincoln mythmaker. You can't be a Lincolnite. You can't be a Straussian. It doesn't work. And, of course, Lincoln is fabricating what the founding period was all about by doing this. He's making it up. He's changing history. Now, this is where the Straussians, of course, think that he's a conservative. Well, he's going back to the, to the founding period. This is, this is historical. But Lincoln had been doing this incorrectly his entire political career. In fact, this is the guy in the Lyceum Address that said we should worship, essentially, the Declaration and the Constitution. Gelzo says, what would have happened if, in the ensuing two years of the Civil War, we had failed the testing? But again, that's not why Lincoln attached to the Declaration. He had to give it some metaphysical, some higher law than the Constitution. This is William Seward. This is what the Republicans have been doing then for over a decade. And it was incorrect. It was incorrect history then. It's incorrect history now, and the Straussians can't change that. They can try with stuff like this, but they can't change that. The least well-examined words of the address, however, are its expansive triplet, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. This wasn't merely a, rhetor merely a rhetorical flourish. In that triplet, Lincoln lays out the three fundamental elements of democracy. Of course, this is the line that H.L. Mencken pointed out was completely bogus. Because if Lincoln really believed in government of the people, by the people, and for the people, then he wouldn't have been waging a war on the South. Because if you believe in that, the South voted in crushing majorities to leave the Union. That's democracy in action. He's not in favor of democracy. He didn't even get 40% of the popular vote. He's not in favor of that at all. The Republicans were the minority, even in the North, other than bogus voting tactics, right? We know that they were cheating in 1864. We know if you put all the Democrats together, they probably would have won the election, even though you look at the results. And if the Republicans had carried the North like they did there, they might have won the election still. But Democrats probably would have gotten more votes. Without question, they would have gotten more votes. So the Republicans were the minority. This is not government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And for all the, the, the people that run around saying, Lincoln, you know, Lincoln, democracy... Again, these are the same people that would whine about 
winning the Electoral College and not winning the popular vote. Lincoln didn't win the popular vote. He was a minority president for a minority party. And he really didn't believe in democracy. If he did, the South would have been allowed to secede. Gelzo says, the first is consent, government of the people. This is a Lincoln quote. According to our ancient faith, Lincoln said in his 1854 speech uh, objecting to the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which compromised on slavery, the just powers of governments are derived from the consent of the governed. Okay. Well, did the South consent to your government? No. They had consented to it at all. In fact, they violently resisted it. So if just powers result from the consent of the governed, did all these, these 30,000 people that you locked into northern prisons consent to your government? No, but you locked them away anyways. Did northerners like Clement Van Landingham consent to your government? No, so you booted them out of the country. This is the thing. Lincoln didn't really believe in consent and of the governed. He didn't believe in that at all. He's focusing on something that doesn't really matter in 1854. So he says this. The just powers of government. Right. That meant plainly, Gelzo says, that no man is good enough to govern another man without that other's consent. I say this is the leading principle, the sheet anchor of American republicanism. Did the South consent to you governing them? No. In fact, again, they clearly rejected it. But there was votes. There was an election. And we have to abide by elections, even when the election is completely bogus. A second distinctive feature of democracy is the people's voice in the affairs of governing, government by the people. It matters little whether that active voice is the direct participation of individuals, as in ancient Athens, or through the rep their representatives, as in the American Constitution. From his earliest moments in politics, Lincoln argued that government by the people, through their laws and through elections, and not by mobs with nooses and shotguns, was the only legitimate expression of democracy. I do not deny the possibility that the people may err in an election, he conceded in 1861. But if they do, the true cure is in the next election, right? So there's no, there's no recourse except, well, voting better in the next one. Well, this is not what the founding generation did. Now, of course, you could say, well, they didn't have an election. There was no representation in Parliament. Okay. But the fact is, here we have a situation where Lincoln is trying to work around, trying to do an end around what's actually happening here in the 1860s. It's bad history. Gelza was, is advocating bad history. The third basic element of democracy is a government that serves the interests of the people. Government for the people, not those of a monarch, an aristocracy, or an angry and contemptuous elite, kind of like the Republican Party. For that reason, Lincoln wrote, government served to do only those things that need to be done, but which they cannot, by individual effort, do at all, or do so well for themselves, such as roads and bridges, schools and asylums, the enforcement of the laws, and the defense of the nation. While government isn't charged with the duty of redressing or preventing the, all the wrongs in the world, he said in 1859, it does have the responsibility to keep from planting and cultivating too many thorns in the bosom of society. So there. I mean, this is, this is Lincoln the conservative. You don't want to do too much. Government can't do too much. Because it's going to create, it's going to gum up the works, right? Or plant thorns in the bosom of society. You don't want an active government that's going to get too involved in things like Lincoln's government. Again, Lincoln spoke out of both sides. His actions are more important than his words. Lincoln's actions should be studied, not his words. Lincoln was very good at saying things that he really didn't believe all the time. 
His actions are more important than his words. Well, I mean, the Lincolnites will say, Aha, McClanahan, there you go, because he really did want to end slavery. Look at his actions on all these things. Uh, but, again, his actions really don't meet that too much because Lincoln was willing to let slavery exist until the early 20th century. Now, you can say, well, he's against it because he's trying to end it. This is true. But I think he would have allowed a tremendous amount of wiggle room there for years wasn't a true abolitionist or a true emancipationist. And, of course, his actions in terms of compensated emancipation or expatriation or colonization were clear that Lincoln did believe that slave owners should be compensated and black people should be ushered out of the country for the best of the United States in his mind. Lincoln's address at Gettysburg wasn't an explosion of rhetorical fireworks. I agree. It was stupid and a dishwatery utterance. That kind of speaking was reserved for Everett's 13,000-word oration, teen with classical allusions to Thucydides and Pericles, but without a single sentence anyone could remember afterward. Lincoln's was an essay on why American, American democracy had been founded. Oh, but wait, that's not true. It's why Lincoln, it's what Lincoln fabricated why American democracy had been founded why it was worth the sacrifice to preserve, and what the country could anticipate if it emerged whole from the conflict. The example of that sacrifice would stimulate a new birth of freedom, like the new birth revival preachers had exhorted people to embrace, a revitalization of the original purpose of the American founding that would, as Lincoln said in 1858, turn this government back into the channel in which the framers of the Constitution originally placed it. But that's incorrect. Again, he's revolutionizing the revolution, he's making up history as he goes. No matter what the Straussians said, again, action is more powerful than words, and the action of the founders was not in line with this proposition nation at all. At all. So Gelzo concludes, that new birth is the task that lies before every succeeding generation of Americans. In it, we find our way not only back to Lincoln, but to democracy itself. You see... We'll just go back to Lincoln and then to democracy. Lincoln is the embodiment of democracy. Nothing says democracy like slaughtering hundreds of thousands of Americans so you can have your union. Nothing says that. Nothing says democracy like telling a group of people that left democratically that you must die and take my democracy. That says democracy more than anything else. That is the true hallmark of democracy. We return to the dignity of a human form that can stand upright before its creator, with no autocrat or prince casting an intervening shadow with hands outstretched to nature and its God and to each other. What does that even mean? I, I, I don't even know if, what that even means for this, right? Return to the dignity of a human form that can stand upright before its creator with no autocrat or prince casting an intervening shadow? Lincoln was a tyrant. But what is it with hands outstretched to nature and its God and to each other? What he's just done is made Lincoln into a kind of a demigod, right? Or, uh, you know, th this, is, this is why we have the Lincoln Monument, with the, which is the American uh, Pantheon, right? So, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the American Parthenon. This is what it is. When we do, the shades of those Lincoln honored at Gettysburg will embrace us as the sun shines again on government of the people, by the people, for the people. This last paragraph doesn't even make any sense when you look at the actual results and the war itself. Uh, 
And that's the sad thing about this. This essay, and Gelzo, who teaches now at Princeton, this essay is in the Wall Street Journal. Conservatives are going to read it and say, oh yeah, this is real conservatism. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln wasn't conservative in his own time. Abraham Lincoln was making things up as he went. Abraham Lincoln had fabricated American history. Abraham Lincoln was in no way conservative. And yet, conservatives today attach themselves to him. Why? Because of what Gelzo is doing here. They don't want to be called bad names. They don't want to be seen as the party that uh, would advocate things that uh, the modern left wouldn't like. Which, of course, is not what anybody's doing anyways. But they don't want to even be called these things. You see, we're Lincolnites. We believe in Lincoln. We believe in ending slavery. We believe in ending racism. Well, Lincoln didn't believe in ending racism at all. No Republican really did. They believed in bottling slaves up in the South so they could win elections. Former slaves, I should say. And also bottling up in the South where they were already there so that they could keep them out of the West, which is what they wanted for themselves. That was also the point. But regardless, this is a bad essay and a bad discussion and a distortion of history. And it's sad that this is now passes for conservatism in America. But what do you expect with the Lincoln cult the way it is in America today? That's why I constantly talk about this stuff. But if you want a more in-depth discussion of what I think about the Declaration, historical antecedents, and everything else, then take my class on it at McClanahan Academy. Get my class reading Abraham Lincoln, 30% off, Black Friday 2022. Take my class on 26 speeches that changed America because I get into the Declaration of Sentiments. All that is there. You can, you can learn more about it if you take these classes. That's why I have them, so that you can be a better educated person than your average American that would read this and shake their head, oh, yeah, 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 Lincoln, Lincoln. Uh, we got to conserve it. We got we to adhere to Lincoln. That's the important thing. The Republicans in the 1860s called their opponents conservatives. That's an important thing to remember. They called their opponents conservatives, not the other way around. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.